nice work, Cam. Very good. Smooth, silky smooth fingers there, Cammy. Welcome to the podcast. This is the Icon Performance Health Podcast under the bar. My name is Tom. With me is Rawdon. If you want to know more about Rawdon, you can go to the Dubois Method on Facebook and Instagram. Yep. If you'd like to learn more about myself, you can go to tomhewitt.com.au. <laughs> Mate, that is uh, pumping the content out on uh, on that one. <laughs> that's a good website. Well, Tom, you know, Tom it, Hewitt. it's there to do something. Yeah. There's a newsletter you can sign up for. This month in the newsletter, I'm talking about pyramid sets as a training method. Wow. And I have a little uh, overview of what that method does. You can have a look at a couple of programs. I've got a client mm. case study uh, uh, this month looking at a, a food rotation that I did for a client recently, just a very simple way of how to do it. Yep. Uh, so they can go there, tomhewitt.com.au. Mm. Uh, big show coming up today, Rudin. It's jam-packed. I mean, we were pre-show, we we're thinking, how do we fit all this mm, in? Mm, it, mm. It's packed tighter than a belly full of visceral fat. Yeah, well, interesting you say that, Tom. We'll, we'll talk about that a little bit later. Um on this episode, we've got Dan Garner's part two on recovery. Yeah. Mm. And in the hierarchy of priorities in terms of uh, recovery, mm. sleep is right at the top. Yeah. So on this episode, he's going to go balls deep into the ins and outs yes. of sleep and the role that it plays with recovery, yep. and the benefits to your hormones, mm. growth hormone, testosterone, mm. all this kind of stuff. Yeah, I was inter- interesting, just quickly before we move on from there, mm. I was watching a, uh, a podcast about a uh, doctor... Uh, it was some sort of testosterone uh, guru, uh, men's health type guy, and the interview was uh, one of his, his his key go-tos rather than starting supplementation for the, for, for the male. Yeah, it's uh, improving uh, sleep and uh, improving sleep apnea in particular. Apparently, uh, that's his his main thing. Fix that, your testosterone levels will go come up. So it really is. Uh, we talk about it, and uh, but even from a, a doctor that, that for a living. Uh, handles guys with with low testosterone production the first thing he looks at obviously you know the hptax is whether it's a uh, primary or secondary but before they even look at that they look at the sleep quality for the individual so well there we go it'll be very good yeah dan will have some tips on how to uh, enhance the quality of yes. your sleep with that as well mm. we have a very special guest dr sonia Pedersen. She's a naturopathic physician, mm. and most of our listeners probably haven't heard of her. No. She keeps a quite a low profile on the By internet. choice. Yep. By choice. She likes to lay low. But essentially, she almost exclusively these days works with professional sportsmen in America, yep. and primarily NFL players. Yeah, and I gather they uh, they seek her out pretty much. They're looking for uh, an improvement with uh, whatever aspect of their game. Performance, nutrition, recovery, yep. all this kind of stuff. Everything. She's been out in Australia touring with uh, Charles Poliquin. Yes. Well, you know, I was out with, with <laughs> dinner with Charles the other night and uh, I met Sonja. And, and she uh, was uh, quite intrigued about the podcast. She came in, yep. sat down, we started having a bit of a chat, and then all of a sudden we thought, well, this is actually quite interesting. Why yeah. don't we uh, start recording and see yep. what comes out? So we've got an extended interview with Sonia. We talk about so many different topics. Everything. I, I, from, I really enjoyed the, the, the chat with her. Yeah, so everything from uh, you know how she treats professional sportsmen through mm. to gut health. and Well, yeah. that's what we try to get her in for. Just tell us what you do to, to fix up the gut, because you and I and our listeners will know that that's something that we do prioritize with our clientele. But... It wasn't as uh, simple as that. She alluded, um, you know, pretty much said that, uh, you know, what they're looking at now is um, that it's it's a little more complicated than what they uh, once thought. And uh, it's not a simple matter of throwing a, a probiotic and some prebiotics in and hoping for the best. Mm. It's a very individual case-by-case basis and what works for one person won't for another. Now, I've got to say, Tom, you know, that I'd probably agree with that with my clientele. Uh, one protocol that I set up for them works really well, and then the next, it, they still have some some digestive stress, and it's and it does take a while to sort of uh, improve things from them. And um, 
it would certainly suggest that it does vary from person to person uh, tremendously. Yeah, absolutely, that's what she alludes to. And I think yeah. the other interesting thing, Rawdon, is when she sort of says, apart from the individual, it's also looking at the hereditary background of the individual, yeah. where they came from, where their family ancestry came from, and what sort of naturally yeah. fermented foods they ate yeah. 100, 200 yeah. years ago. But she did, uh, you know, we have said on the podcast many times, Tom, grab a steak, throw it on the ground, stamp on it, <laughs> yes. and then cook it. And she actually thought that was quite a good idea. Yeah. So uh, we stand stand by that. So we'll have Sonia, a uh, fascinating chat with her. Mm-hmm. So that and much, much more on this episode of Under the Bar. Now, let's... Um, a listener has actually emailed in we've got a, an email question okay, here okay good and this is actually in relation to our last episode Rawdon where we had a that very detailed interview with Salim Satir Ooh, the on, grey. The, on the murky, murky. Uh, Dubois murky areas of uh, peptides mm. so this one comes in from Jason okay hi guys just a quick question on the peptides as I struggled to understand Salim's accent <laughs> yeah <laughs> could you please tell me the name of the anti-aging peptide and also mm. the peptides mm. for hypertrophy um, for the hypertrophy peptides, how many times per day or per week would you inject? Uh, appreciate all your help. I love the podcast. Yeah. They are very informative. Keep them up. Kind regards, Jay. So thanks for your email, Jay. Um, yeah. I believe, Rawdon, you're going to open up your notes that you took mm. while Salim was uh, mm. talking. We can answer some of those peptides that he yeah. referred to. Yes. Uh, maybe we can. I can do a little case study on one of my clients who used a course of peptides yeah. for hypertrophy, well, and I can explain what uh, the process that she went through. Yeah, why don't we uh, talk about Should that, while, that? I, okay. while I, uh, well, I uh, raffle through my uh, notes? <laughs> yeah. I, I will say that, uh, that I'm not really going to um, answer his question in detail. We'll certainly talk about the, uh, the anti-aging. Uh, we'll certainly talk about what uh, peptides could be used potentially for hypertrophy. Sure. Um, really, all of them. Anti-aging, you know, if you're not aging, you can probably add more muscle. You could argue that, that most of the peptides would help to hypertrophy, but some are more hypertrophy-specific, but we're not going to give dosages or anything like that. And we did say that when, when it went to air. Um, it's not a how-to. It's more of a, hey, this is what it's all about. For, for Jason, it would be more... You know, uh, contacting some sort of peptide clinic like what we suggested uh, here in Sydney. There's a there's a few around, and uh, going down that road uh, professionally if that's what uh, if that's what he's interested in doing. But yep. we'll certainly dot some eyes and cross some t's and give him a bit more of an insight. Definitely, certainly. Well, this might uh, give you a bit of an insight straight off the bat here, uh, mm. Jay. I have a client. She's 49, turning 50 this year, and she went into the peptide clinic at Sydney. We've referenced Dr. John Hart. Mm. He was her contact point for that clinic. Yep. She got a, a peptide CJC1295. Yep. And basically, the purpose of this was, uh, as I said, hypertrophy. It was to stimulate the body's production of growth hormone. Yep. So she would get larger and more frequent pulses of growth hormone Correct. when she took this peptide. So she had to inject herself with a peptide between two to four times per day, five days on, two days off for a period of 13 weeks, I think the cycle ended up going from. Now, in the course of doing this, her starting scale weight was 62.3 kilos. Her finishing scale weight was 67.7. Wow. Her body fat when she started was 17%. It went up to 19.5. And her lean muscle mass went from 52 to 54.5. So over the course of the 13 weeks using peptides, her scale weight went up by five and a half kilos. Her lean body mass went up by two and a half kilos 
and her body fat crept up by 2.5%. Okay. So she would say that the peptides worked wonderfully well. She enjoyed the process of using them. I look at that process and I'm sure the peptides played a role. However, mm. and she's a hard gainer. She's naturally quite ectomorphic and Rudin, it's been a while since you've seen her. If you yeah. saw her now, you'd think she's as big as a house. Like her physique has definitely changed. Okay. But apart from using those peptides, she took a month off work. Mm. We trained twice a day. Calories were in uh, a significant surplus and yep. she was hugely focused on what she was doing for this period of time she'd planned it in advance she'd had the time off work she had the peptides mentally she was fully engaged in the process so that yeah. amount of scale weight and muscle mass for someone who you know is uh, been lifting weights for three or four years consistently now is quite a significant gain i'm sure the peptides played their role in it for sure certainly from um the way she felt and her ability to back up between sessions train with higher frequency and train with intensity uh, and really push her body hard and the, you know the joints and everything were feeling really really good she was getting some physio as well and the physio was like wow this is fantastic so i'm sure the peptides played a role in keeping her joint health and her body feeling good throughout the process but uh, it was a synergy of all things yes. i think that the peptides obviously they're there to produce growth hormone pulses so her growth hormone would have been higher throughout that process but as i said synergistic she was eating a, a huge surplus of calories she was training twice a day she was sleeping, you know, 10 hours a night and her primary focus in life for that period was to train and put on size. Yeah. Which is what she did. So um, I'm sure she would recommend it to other people. Some of the side effects with the growth hormone and uh, I think Salim made reference to this in his interview, it does elevate basal metabolic rate to a degree. So she, despite all the calories that she was eating, she still got really hungry. She could mm. eat more and more and more. She also developed little scabs around her stomach where she had to put the injections in because you're injecting yeah, yourself trauma. two or three times a day. You also have to make sure you're, you're doing those injections away from food. So she had to do it on an empty stomach and then do it after a meal. So she, you have to space out when you're having your food in the day. And if you're trying to get in three and a half, four thousand 4,000 calories, yeah. it can be quite tricky timing your meals as well. And if you're working and doing other things, you have to think about it practically how you actually go about doing this but apart from that it was a positive experience for her so yeah you know, that, yeah but like, like you said i mean um with my experience the individuals that actually do go down the uh ped route uh with anabolics you know people that i know in the industry or um or friends colleagues um you know they coincide taking the the supplementation with perfect nutrition they're getting every training session in they yeah. won't go out and drink they'll make sure they get their sleep you know i mean you do all that anyway and you're going to get some pretty good gains usually obviously the the, the anabolics play their role uh no doubt but mm. but um and, and 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 even you know we talk about the the how the physiology uh follows the the psychology the, the psychology i yeah. you know, and that and that's that's huge you yeah. know and i see it when guys aren't and girls aren't progressing you know there's definitely a correlation with a negative psychology and the physiology follows suit yeah 100 percent. so uh, there you go jason i hope that helps answer the aspect in terms of what you might do for the, the peptides designed for hypertrophy Rawdon, you've had enough time, ample time to fluff around and get some answers yeah. here for our, uh, our listener, mate. So we're after the anti-aging peptides. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and but it's not specifics. so much uh, fluffing around. I'm trying to, because I've uh, scribbled the, the notes. It's uh, epitalome. Um, epitalome. Yeah, but I don't know how it's spelt. That's what I was trying to look up while you were uh, talking. Uh, so, But I can't for the life of me uh, find it. But uh, that's the one that increases the... Um, 
Uh, the t telomere length, lengthens, I think. The, lengthens the telomeres of the cells. So that's your primary anti-aging peptide. Yeah, it grows back telomeres, so you stay longer over time, basically. And I, I think from memory, he's the one that he actually, you know, pins down his parents and jabs them uh, a couple of times a year to extend their life. Yeah, so essentially uh, that one, you take it for, I think, a 15-day cycle twice a year, one injection a day for 15 days in a, in a row, mm. twice a year. Mm. And uh, you know, I can I can rattle off some facts and figures that that, that would be well, mind-boggling for uh, Jay. Please um, do. Uh, Salim suggests that uh, up to forty to fifty percent uh, increase of lifespan. So I'm getting on these today, Tom. Yes. I'm going to be 150 years old. It's uh, I'm quite excited to be uh, kicking around, uh, doing some deadlifts and whatnot at that age. Uh, twice per year, uh, like you suggested. Um, guys and girls, slightly different dosages. You'd have to look into that, but the. He, he emphasized that a quality of life uh, is also improved. So it's not yes. just your life extended; it's what life you do have is of a higher quality. I mean, you can you can uh, you can deadlift. You can deadlift. Yes. yes. So you can enjoy um, you know your life uh, right to the end. I guess um, less likely to develop cancer apparently, and um, you know fundamentally the immune system is is, is much stronger as well. Yeah. So um, it, look to me, it sounds too good to be true, and we should all be uh, prescribed it, <laughs> but. Um, but look, this is what the the research has suggested, and um, and uh, you know, if you're interested about uh, in that anti antipeptide, there's some facts and figures for you, Jay. A petalome. A petalome, yeah. So that was that one. Yep. From a bodybuilding perspective, you know the. The hypertrophy type ones are the the uh, growth hormone analogs, the precursors, and the the GHRPs and the CJCs. You mentioned the CJC twelve nine five, but the GHRP. Uh, RP6, usually those two are used in uh, combination to elevate growth hormone and that, you know, obviously it greatly enhances recovery and all the fun, fantastic things that, that growth hormone does. You're going to reap all those benefits uh, more frequently. The peptides, um, those two, as far as I'm aware, they sort of mimic the natural production of growth hormone. So, yes. Because growth hormone is a peptide as well. But if you went to growth hormone, the issue with growth hormone is it's uh, it's half-life. It's, it's a very long half-life, so it's 12 yep. hours. Yep. So usually it'll be pulsatile in nature and, and uh, like insulin growth hormone sort of antagonize each other. And that's why you wouldn't have the, the CJC, um, you have it pre pre-eating yes um the ghrp6 really good for hunger as well really bad for dieting if you're dieting and you were using peptides it'd pretty much be the worst thing you'd want to do because yeah. uh, although it'd have a positive uh, effect with growth hormone you'd be like ravenously uh, hungry uh, you know guys have told me that uh, it's legitimately you'll kill someone if it's meal time and you're, you, you get away <laughs> from me i'll go to eat yeah. like it's really 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 bad uh something to think about there but um so the the ghrh and the ghrp i think they are Growth hormone releasing hormone, growth hormone releasing peptides, um, the CJC and the JHRP uh, sixes. They're the the two main ones there. Then you have your IGF one uh, analogs, and then the different IGF one. You have short acting IGF ones, uh, longer acting IGF ones. Those obviously would be great from a hypertrophy perspective because growth hormone converts to IGF one. IGF one is going to be a, a key player in increasing muscle mass, uh, enhancing recovery. Yeah, and uh, aside from the IGF-1s and the GHRH and GHRPs, um, the myostatin inhibitors, so mm. the myostatin gene, uh, I guess, is your genetic ceiling. So when you uh, you have this uh, myostatin uh, gene that sort of uh, restricts the amount of muscle mass that you can put on, and uh, I think we've referenced the, those dogs and there's that yeah. bull, yep. uh, that off-the-chain bull yep. that, uh, <laughs> that you see the pics of. It's mm. legitimate. It's real. Yep. And they have had the myostatin gene, but the 
So there's myostatin inhibitors, but from what I gather, there there's like a ton of uh, caveats that come with it, and and they got a ton of other uh, factors that side were, effects, side effects yeah. that were certainly didn't warrant it. Yep. Although, you know, for the aspiring uh, elite level bodybuilder, I'm, I'm pretty sure they're they're fixated on one outcome, and yeah. uh, you know their long term health probably isn't at the top Doesn't of their factor uh, in, no. priorities. But proceed with caution because it is a relatively new science, so you'd want to. Um, go through a professional and have it monitored and um, go through some sort of anti-aging clinic but um, but that's up for the individual thanks for your email Jason anyone else who's got a question send an email through to podcast at iconph.com.au Under the Bar, Dan Garner is here on the podcast again for his uh, recovery series and this yes. is fascinating stuff pens and pads out again get ready to take some notes that's right Tom in the first uh, little segment we uh, alluded the listener to um, how to identify uh, you know the, the need for recovery or, or to look a little deeper into whether recovery uh, emphasis should be placed on recovery yes. I guess yes, so that was yes. really good bit of an eye opener exactly and, and we will get into the specifics of uh, recovery from bolts. all the, the physical activity that we do but before we go there yep. the logical sequence is to have a look at the big recovery factor and mm, of course mm. that's sleep so um, well, I, I'm quite inclined to have a micro sleep from time to time, as you know, Tom. Yes. So I'm really big on that recovery. Absolutely. So Dan Garner, strength coach and nutrition specialist, joins us again on the podcast. G'day, Dan. Hey, guys. Right. Now, uh, before Rawdon uh, nods off... We, we better, <laughs> Make it quick. I'm on the way. <laughs> we better get you started, mate. So We'll talk quickly. So yeah, we're yeah. assuming, Dan, that uh, sleep is king in the world of recovery. Yes, sir. Absolutely. Okay. Good stuff. Where, where, <laughs> well, I could have told you that, Tom. Yeah, yeah I, I'm no, still with it. I'm still yeah. with the land of the living. It's okay. Where do we, uh, where do we start, uh, Dan? Where are we going to uh, slip the toes between the sheets and uh, cuddle up? Where are we going to go? <laughs> well, when it comes to recovery, I mean, there, there's always a hierarchy of what's important and what's not, right? Yes. Um, the number one aspect of recovery is sleep. Yep. Um, that, that is undoubtedly, I mean, when discussions come up involving athletic performance or strength development or physique development, the two main topics are always training and nutrition, yet sleep is equally as pivotal. I mean, if yeah. your sleep is off, you're setting yourself up for a lot of problems with your recovery and you're creating a lot of problems in recovery. If there are problems in your recovery, you're affecting all aspects of the development that you're trying to create in the gym because like we discussed in the last time, you're only making progress based on what you can recover from. So if recovery is off, everything is off and sleep is the number one king when it comes to recovery. Without sleep, it doesn't matter how many calories you had what supplements you're taking or any other fatigue management strategies you use like manual manual therapy or cryotherapy or ice baths, contrast showers, all these things have a time and a place. But if you didn't sleep well last night, you're still going to be tired. You're still going to be under recovered. You still won't be prepared for optimal exercise and you will still have disrupted endocrine and immune homeostasis. So this, the thing with sleep and, I mean, sleep and calories. Sleep is number one, calories is number two. Um, I, I am purposefully saying calories and not macronutrients because the total energy content is just slightly more important towards recovery than where the energy content is coming from, provided you're not eating an absolutely ridiculous diet. Yep. But um, 
when it comes to say sleep and calories, if somebody's having trouble with the recovery and they're like and they're not sleeping at night and they want to go get a massage to help the recovery, you right. know that that's kind of be... getting the cart before the horse. Um, yeah, you you want to address your sleep before trying to get a massage, okay. or if, if you want to have a post workout recovery drink but you're not having enough calories per day, yeah. again cart before the horse. Let's focus on what's important yeah, here. Yeah, so, yeah, good one. Then with another uh, cart before the horse question you say that the progress is only as good as recovery can be if you have an individual who chronically sleeps poorly and that's something which is a bit of a work in progress and it's going to take some time to correct it do you then have to sort of look at the way they're training and what they're doing and just pull it back so that they don't actually do as much damage yes yeah sleep should of course become the priority within the nutritional design in order to get them to sleep quicker um and lifestyle things as well, you know, to help them calm down before bed. There's a lot of strategies they can use to calm down nutritionally and just lifestyle based. Mm. But I would pull back training volume if somebody is chronically undersleeping because they're only making the fatigue debt greater by yes. doing so. You're not actually making progress if you're training a lot and not sleeping. So that, we need to get sleep corrected first because once we have a healthy body, then we can start making progress. Yeah, Very good. What about naps okay the individual you know obviously through work whatever they get six hours a night and in the overall scheme of things that's deemed not enough in the the big picture but they can have a a, you know nap for an hour hour and a half you know mid-afternoon do we look at that sleep collectively in a 24-hour period or is it that the magic happens in that that eight-hour block with the growth hormone pulse at night and, and all the magic that happens at night it's got to be the eight hour at once or six and then a couple somewhere else or six and one on one like what about that side of things Dan? so there is research that suggests that you can catch up but the majority of research that we have on sleep is in like one-off studies so decreasing the sleep at night and then not measuring a nap during the day so there's a lot that we know about decreasing the sleep at nighttime as opposed to decreasing the, sl- the sleep at nighttime and then trying to make up for it in the day. There okay. is research that suggests you can make up for it in the day and the naps are definitely worthwhile and definitely something I would absolutely recommend people do if they're not getting enough sleep at nighttime and the nap during the day also isn't affecting their sleep at nighttime because mm. if you have a nap later on in the day, you might affect your nighttime yeah. sleep and kind of make it a vicious circle as opposed yeah. to solving the issue but i think okay. when it comes to nap times and trying to catch up on sleep it also matters that when you train you know i would if somebody's gonna nap i would hope that they would sleep through the night and then nap in the day before they train and not sleep poorly through the night and then wake up and then their training's one of the first things that they do yeah. So I think there would be a definitely a, a big performance gap between those two scenarios. So I think timing becomes a factor there too. All right, timing of the naps, okay. Um, right. So it sounds like I was uh, quite ahead of the game with my micro sleeps, Tom. <laughs> yes. You had all Very those up, mate. Those five minutes here, you know, a couple of minutes here and there. Yes. It's a couple of hours by the end of the day. Yes, yes. But catching all up, is that in the 24-hour period or over the yeah. course of the week? Can you get it on like, the weekend? Get yeah. sleep for 48 hours on the weekend to make up for it? No sleep <laughs> for the week? Will that work? <laughs> I would say no. No. <laughs> um, I would say catching up is better than not catching up, though. Yeah. But um, if somebody's basing their lifestyle around that i would say no because yeah. a lot of things happen within 24 hours yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so like nutrient partitioning your appetite insulin sensitivity the level of androgens in your body your cortisol 
growth hormone, all these things get affected and have been demonstrated to be negatively affected by or positively sleep. affected no matter how you look at it yes. by your sleep and that's within a 24-hour window so okay. sure catching up is better than not catching up but you already kind of created issues so it's not just the eight hours while you're sleeping that you get the benefits from it's the cascade of the yeah. hormones and whatever else that goes on in that 24-hour period so it sets the body up for the day ahead yeah yeah absolutely i mean nutrient partitioning it during intentional caloric restriction, so if you're trying to diet to lose weight, a reduction of sleep by three hours, and this was in research done where they reduced it from eight and a half to five and a half hours of sleep, yep. is associated with unfavorable nutrient partitioning effect. When you're losing weight and not sleeping enough, more of your weight loss is actually coming from lean mass than fat mass. So Great. that's a really big thing that we don't want to happen. We yeah. want to lose body fat and not our glycogen and lean muscle tissue. Mm. And what's important to take away from this study was that this happened without a reduction in metabolic rate. So your metabolism doesn't decrease. It just steals more from your lean mass. Wow. This The, the sleep, I mean, you sort of, in a, in a general sense, you know, it's fascinating that we're going in depth now and, and really going to be able to dot I's, cross T's. So our listeners can actually make sense of when we say, look, you need your sleep. Just effing get your sleep every night, okay? You need this. Trust yeah. me. You need this, you need this long. There's a ton of research to back it up. But I, I like what we're doing now is we're actually showing that, that you know, things like, uh, you know. Nutrient partitioning. Yeah, you're going to drop weight in that week, but it's going to be predominantly mu muscle if you have a really poor sleeping week. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I mean, most all systems in the body become anabolic during sleep. And this is really important to people. The anabolism from sleep includes your bone, includes your immune system, muscle system, endocrine system. You know, during the night, bones are building up and remodeling, muscle tissues being added to the body, and various systems in the body are producing hormones. And yeah. the funny thing about sleep is it's supposed to be natural. You know, if you're having big troubles falling asleep and staying asleep at night, it's, it's an issue. Some, something's up. And there's a lot of strategies I would highly suggest that people do because sleep, this podcast and listeners of this podcast are interested in making gains and dropping body fat and performing well. And yeah. that's awesome. That's what I'm passionate about too. But sleep is hugely correlated with your health as well. Yes. Yeah. Yep. And I think um, there's a few uh, sleep deprived populations just in general, like certain populations will sleep less. And, and I'm pretty sure that the, the obesity uh, is higher in that, that demographic, you know. So, like you said, just health in general pivots on whether you, you sleep well or not. Mm. Yeah, that, that's correct. I mean, I've looked a lot into sleep, so I've got a lot of these numbers just lodged in my brain for life. Mm. And I know the study you're thinking of, Rod, and you're thinking of the study where they used a 1,000 volunteers and found that people who slept five hours a night or less actually had an increased BMI of 3.8% regardless wow. of their exercise or diet. Now, I know 3.8% kind of sounds small, but that's not even considering their diet or exercise or anything. That is sleep alone increased their BMI. Yeah. Mm. And why is that, Dan? I mean, there's a lot of things. Uh, we talked nutrient partitioning, so yep, that, that yep. would have an issue on it. Westphal in 2008 showed, at least acutely, that sleep deprivation appears to increase hunger. And this is actually in healthy yeah. women. It was mm. quantified ara at around a 20% increase in voluntary energy intake. And this actually increased their body weight 0.4 kilograms over four days. Wow. And, so and, and we I know think sleep increases appetite, but when it comes to insulin sensitivity, we have issues there too. Um, interventions that reduce sleep time by as little as two hours a day 
can induce a state of insulin resistance in otherwise healthy people within one week. But having the sleep time to only four hours or less is able to induce insulin resistance after a single night of bad sleep. Wow. And one study actually showed cutting sleep back to four hours saw a 40% longer rate to regular blood sugar after a high-carb meal. So a couple of nights poor sleep and then uh, that nutrition plan that you're following all of a sudden uh, you know, is whacking on fat instead of uh, fueling. Uh, just from that very uh, perspective of insulin sensitivity. Uh, yeah, and well, there's a cool thing kind of in the insulin sensitivity. I, I, I want to mention this because this is something that nobody talks about. Um, both shortened sleep as well as excessive sleep are associated with insulin resistance and an increased risk of diabetes in a survey. So it was, it was a survey here, but people with a seven to eight hour sleep pattern seem to be at the lowest risk. Yeah. with similar increases between two groups in both the five to six hour range, but also in the over nine hours of sleep range. So it's, it's kind of cool that low sleep, but also way too much sleep yeah. was also associated with insulin sensitivity and insulin resistance issues. Yeah, I remember reading that. I think the other thing that, uh, that happens with, um, you know, with those poor sleeping patterns, you're just awake for longer. So you tend to snack on... You know, food that you're—I think energy intake they showed was uh, was higher for those individuals that uh, that weren't asleep. You know, you're awake, mm. and when you're awake, you you know you snack, and then snack get more energy going in. So I think yeah. it, even that like very basic uh, observation could occur as well with um, you know uh, poor sleeping. Yeah, well, decrease in sleep has also been shown to increase ghrelin, which is a hunger hormone and appetite yeah. for the body. Right. So it makes sense. Yeah, yeah. crazy. Okay, Dan, well, we may as well then now start to look at some of the strategies we can use to improve and enhance sleep and, and, and achieve optimal sleep. Mm. So what? Yeah. Well, first of all, what is optimal? So I'm assuming it's that set magic seven to eight hours. Yeah, I mean, that was survey research, and, and I, I, I like that number anyways, but th there's a guideline I've been giving my clients for a long time, and it seems to work awesome, is some people are okay with seven hours, and some people need nine hours, you know, and it can be, and some people are okay with eight hours, so what I, what I like to say is wake up without an alarm. You know, if you wake up without an alarm, your body knows the answer. Mm. Your body's going to get up when it's healthy time to get up. And if you're starting to excessively sleep, then um, I think that that is an issue. But um, waking up without an alarm should be within the eight-hour-ish range. And that's the, the best length strategy that I could give to anybody is just don't set your alarm and let your body wake up. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah. Listeners, don't all do that uh, at once, all right? Maybe have a backup just in case you don't wake up. So, lucky <laughs> for me, Dan, if I <laughs> hey, good luck. the alarm goes off at 4 a.m., what do I just have a crack at not setting the alarm and see what happens? <laughs> yes. Okay. Oh. <laughs> all right. Tommy, no, you're going to no. get okay, so if, if you got, I mean, some people, that, that's what I like to say. Don't. <laughs> Don't wake up on alarm if you don't have to. But yep. some people have to. I mean, if you're getting up at six or earlier, um, that you're definitely going to have to set an alarm so you don't get fired. But potentially, <laughs> I, it's feasible for me to train my body to actually do go, that. Go to bed at eight. Go to yeah. 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 Yes, it is. Okay. Yeah, for sure. I'll try. Uh, but most people do that. I, I would say, Dan, that um, obviously my uh, work situation has changed, and I've you know seen the light, and I'm much happier <laughs> these days, and all that type of stuff. But I would say, uh, like generally, unless I'm going in to do an early assessment, I, I would wake up when I wake up, and and it would be about that eight hours, between mm. seven and eight hours. I, I find, you know, I usually wake up before the alarm and um, and you know stroll out of bed and 
and do what I do. But but it, it would. It's interesting that I, I don't actually use the alarm usually now. Yeah. Like I just wake yeah. up. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, my ha- haters are going to hate now. And Tom, don't be. You know, just because I get up at seven a.m., don't hold that against me. I won't, mate. I won't. You've earned it. <laughs> Other okay, strategies to improve your overall quality of sleep. Yes. Um, so aside from just not setting an alarm for people who have the ability to do that. Um, adequate hydration throughout the day is very important. Um, a completely pitch black room to sleep in. Yep. You want to unplug electrical equipment in your room, especially your phone. Don't leave it on. Turn it off. Tell your friends they can't contact you at nighttime. Um, don't use your phone as an alarm because you're going to be drawn to check your phone if you hear yes. the vibrate or you hear the people, they can't step away from their phones. So turn it off and just let your mind release the phone. You want to get up and go to bed at the same time every day and night. Uh, that's very, very important to start regulating and um, setting in stone your circadian rhythm. If you're dealing with pre-bed anxiety, there's things like L-theanine and rhodiola rosea and magnesium can help with these issues. Um, but I find that nothing is really more beneficial than just calming down at nighttime. Um, being organized, not watching action-packed TV, you know, don't watch a bloody UFC fight <laughs> the 15 minutes before you have to go to bed or yeah. don't put UFC on and then put yeah. the sleep timer on your TV and go to sleep watching UFC, you know, or uh, Arnold movie. Yes. You can't get to the chopper. Yes. And then to the chopper. Well, it's the funny. Time. Yeah, Rodan had a nightmare last night after watching Tropic Thunder. Yeah, ben he was getting, getting shot by a machine gun. <laughs> yes, yeah. I woke up with an elevated heart rate. Oh, that's amazing. Only on the Icon podcast. Yes, Yes. very true. (laughs) Actually, a last strategy I want to sneak in before we move on is actually light. Um, I I am a big proponent of avoiding blue lights after 6 p.m. So I am a fan of like the Flux app that you can put on your phone or your computers that gives a warm light offsets to blue light because light has been shown very successfully and repeated in the research to decrease your own body's melatonin production. Yeah. Uh, yeah, excellent. So what's that app called for our listener? I use Flux on my computer, yeah, F.L-U-X. And the then on my phone, I have one that's identical to Flux, but it's called Twilight. Okay. Okay. I, I generally instruct my uh, clientele just not to, you know, within a few hours of bed, but 6 p.m. sounds good. I might adopt that one, mate, mm-hmm. and, and get that. Uh, and, it's, uh, and what does it look like? Just a yellowish that tinge. orange kind of tinge to the screen? Yeah, it's, it's an orangish-red kind of, yeah. like, warm light. Okay. Yep. Um, just one of the supplements that you mentioned there, Dan, the um, Rhodiola rosea. How would you take that one? Rhodiola rosea, it's, it's actually the only herb out there that's effective within 30 minutes and is effective in the body for four to six hours. And it helps suppress cortisol and it helps get and calm the body and get the mind in the right place where it needs to be. I'm a big fan of it. Ashwagandha mm. is actually also a good one in this category, well demonstrated in research to do these types of things. And I like taking it beforehand. So since it's active very quick and for quite a long time, I would say four to five hours before bed is a great spot to be. Oh, so you take that four to five hours before bed? Yeah, yeah. So when people have trouble getting to sleep, don't address sleep at nighttime. You know, address it throughout the day too. Okay. Start calming down by like four or five p.m. So that coming sleep time, you are actually calm enough to go to sleep instead of trying to just give yourself a melatonin bomb at ten p.m. Okay. Okay. And for someone, for an individual who. You know, gets to sleep reasonably well, but then it's the waking up during the night and the tossing, the turning. Would that, would the rhodiola rosea be appropriate to take it before bed 
to keep you, you know, keep the sleep sustained for that four to six hour period? You could, but a sustained released melatonin would be better. Right. Okay. And what about ashwagandha? Is that, uh, again, similar to rhodiola, just setting up that uh, less anxious, calm, uh, the, the, the body for sleep? Or would that be one that you have closer to bedtime? Ashwagandha is actually, if, if my memory serves me correctly, the most effective cortisol suppressor out there as far as these adaptogens go. Right. And it successfully decreases cortisol 30 plus percent within the research. Okay. And the thing with um, cortisol is, I mean, cortisol is a hormone that mediates the process of waking up and shows predictable circadian rhythms of being high in the morning, a lower at night prior to sleep because you have a because cortisol gives you energy. So it's very high in the morning and decreases as night goes on. Mm -hmm. um, when you're sleep deprived, you have increases in 24 hour cortisol levels. Um, if you have just this has just been seen with a single night of bad sleep or five days and five days can reach over 50% of 24-hour area under the curve cortisol levels But wow. the big increase in cortisol is actually due to the increase of evening cortisol as any sleep deprivations actually been shown to lower your morning cortisol so it's evening cortisol that's kind of the issue to um, area under the curve 24-hour cortisol concentrations in the body so this ashwagandha and rhodiol rosea prior to bedtime is actually helping you decrease the cortisol where it's highest if you're getting a poor sleep okay right okay and that makes sense yes and by default will that start to then reset a healthier cortisol pattern so that it cortisol then becomes curve. higher in the morning Yes. Okay. Yeah, because you're going to get a better sleep because of it, which yep. is going to help morning cortisol. Yes. Right. Yes. I see. Yes. I see. Dan, is there anything that sleep doesn't do? <laughs> no, man. <laughs> we is didn't even good? talk about health. I mean, we didn't even yeah. talk about growth hormone. And we didn't even... How did we not talk about testosterone? You know? Yeah. <laughs> there, well, there's so many things that we still didn't talk about. There's some I could talk about all day. Yeah, well, maybe very quickly we should do that. Why don't we just have a quick look at growth hormone and then testosterone? Sure. Growth hormone, when it comes to sleep and growth hormone, sleep mediates the largest daily spike. So just the spike accounts for 50% of area under the curve for healthy individuals. So mm -hmm. growth hormone is elevated throughout the day, but that spike that we get upon falling asleep accounts for 50% of your whole okay, so daily of exposure. Right. So that, that, that's a lot. That's a big spike that we get before we go to sleep. But the cool thing with growth hormone is um, reductions in sleep reduce nighttime growth hormone release, but they've, we, what we've seen in research is that there's a compensation next day during the day. And that we actually, this comes back up to baseline. So if we reduce our evening growth hormone spike, the next day we actually increase our growth hormone during the day to compensate. Okay. So, so you still th get that's the same. Cool. So you yeah. still get a similar 24 hour uh, pulse, pulse of pulses combined yeah. of growth hormone. It's just that yeah. the timing is yeah, really different. Yeah, and, and one study of night workers actually had they found small sixteen percent sporadic pulses throughout the day to normalize the total area under the curve. Okay, so your body will find a way. Yeah, it finds what? a way with growth hormone, which with, is pretty cool. With okay. growth hormone, mate, like because uh, the pulse. Uh, I mean, it's very uh, the hormones. Uh, active for a very short time uh, when it's pulsed I think it's isn't it 15 20 minutes or something are those pulses uh, equally spread throughout that 24-hour period obviously the biggest one is at nighttime but then is it like every two to three hours is there any uh, rhythm to the to the growth hormone being released for uh, 
for everyone. Well, resistance training will increase growth hormone. Yep. But if, if you're referring to the adaptation to compensate for the poor growth hormone release at nighttime, the study that I'm discussing about night workers, it was sporadic 16% pulses. So okay. no pattern. No pattern. But like right, for a normal person, big pulse at night and then the rest of the day, is there every couple of hours is a pulse? Like how does it... I'm just curious, that's all. No. So it's and it would be it would be dependent on diet as well because we know insulin blunts growth hormone. Okay. On so that note, it'd be, to, it'd be hard to quantify that. Yeah. So on that note, with uh, carbohydrates consumed pre-bed, uh, better sleep, deeper sleep. Does that still will it lessen the growth hormone pulse at night? But there still is the largest growth hormone at night, irregardless of. No, it uh, actually does not lessen the growth hormone. Sleep uh, is the mediator of the growth hormone pulse, and actually it's been shown having carbohydrates before bed does not affect your growth hormone release while you're asleep. Sweet. Okay. I didn't yeah, get it wrong. Yeah. So the, that was <laughs> All my clients keep doing it. Backloading, and it's completely false. Okay. Beautiful. Okay. Righto, Dan. And what about the testosterone then? So testosterone's kind of funny. Testosterone isn't as linked to sleep as some trainers and guys on podcasts will allow you to think. Okay. Um, it, it is, it, there is stuff in there, but there's also stuff in there that shows that, like there's equal amount of research that shows that it doesn't really affect your testosterone. So, we, I mean, we have one study of male subjects sleeping eight hours routinely, cut sleep by three hours for a period of five days, so reduce their testosterone an average of 10% relative to their rested you know this suggests that acute sleep deprivation influenced their testosterone levels mm -hmm. okay. and another small but controlled study noted that sleep deprivation in young men had a 30 percent decrease in testosterone and also an accompanying decrease in dht so there is something going on there with androgens um but i'm, I'm mentioning these but uh there are there is research out there also that suggests that nothing happens okay. and one study actually found with complete sleep deprivation over more than 24 hours found an ac uh, acute decrease in testosterone at the 24 hour mark but it didn't decrease any more after that so it seems like there's a point of diminishing decreases when it comes to sleep and testosterone as well okay so not uh, so it's mainly the the growth hormone uh, although that even if you do get deprived sleep, you've got to make it up anyway. Yeah, yeah. So, so. I mean, I, I, the where I'd put my money is things like nutrient partitioning, the appetite, the right. insulin sensitivity, right. Right. Um, and the cortisol. The, the, those are things, like as far as hierarchy goes, that are more affected by sleep. By sleep. Yep. Um, another one, actually, that's super overrated with sleep is actually thyroid. Uh, thyroid hormone is not consistent in the research to have any swings up or down. Uh, this is mentioned a lot, but um, metabolic rate really goes unchanged with a poor sleep. We just get these other negative effects. Yep. Good clarification. Oh, there. Good. there we go. So we know a little bit of myth busting. Yes. And then, yeah, um, myth busters. Very good. And the things that really are important with sleep. I'm tired now. I think I'm ready to uh, have a micro to sleep. Have a little micro I might join sleep. you, Tom. <laughs> yeah. Dan, you want to have one too? This should be riveting listening. Yes. Yeah. Cam's already nodded off. Cam. Wake up. Yeah. No, he's back. Yeah. He's back. The rock star's back. Righto. That's, uh, that's sleep bundled mm -hmm. up nicely. Very good. Thanks once again for that, Dan. That's fascinating. People can for contact sure. you via Facebook, strength coach and nutrition specialist. Thanks, Dan. Great. Thanks, Dan. Talk to you soon, mate. Yep. It's the Under the Bar podcast with Rawdon and Tom. 
Yes. Uh, welcome to another episode. As we mentioned at the top of the show, Rod, and a very special guest on uh, this very, episode. Very special. Uncle Charles has been out in Australia touring around, putting... Uh, swanning around. I swanning, think we, that's yeah. right. Yeah. You know, with his hypertrophy camps, putting all sorts of people through torture, yes. no doubt. It's yeah. uh, pretty tough. Yeah, very Grueling, tough. Grueling, I think you'd call uh, it. And tough for Charles as well, you know, all that swanning around uh, yes. isn't easy. He needs to have a little uh, touring party come around yes. with him. And we couldn't resist the chance to get Sonia Pedersen in the studio today. Now, yeah. she keeps quite a low profile online, so many of our listeners wouldn't be aware of Sonia. But she's a naturopathic physician. Yep. Essentially, you know, you can go to her as you would see a normal GP out here in Australia. Yep. But she's obviously taking the, the naturopathic route and she has a very wide skill set in how to deal with a range of issues. Mm. As her career has evolved, she's found herself working almost uh, exclusively now with the uh, athletic population. Yeah. And particularly with the NFL players. Yeah. Big burly blokes. The big burly blokes. And this is impressive. So, we're going to get her on today and get a bit of a window into the lifestyle of a pro American sports athlete. Yep. The biggest, most powerful, most highly paid athletes in the world. Rock stars. It's a unique environment that she comes from and she deals with a range of, of complications and, yeah. and challenges. So, Sonia, welcome uh, to Australia. And Thank uh, you. thanks for coming to the studio to have a chat with us today. Yes. Thank you. It's great to be here. Sonia, how did you get started? I mean, why did you choose the naturopathic route as opposed to just becoming a normal medical doctor like where was the distinction for you that one was actually easy that one was my parents they I didn't see a regular doctor until I was six or seven years old and then we were traveling so we needed some type of vaccinations but before that and after that we have always just used the traditional old school type of healing methods forever so I've just always been that way and really wanted to help people and it is hard to help people with drugs and surgery so so I guess you didn't get the uh, the flu shot every winter certainly (laughs) not (laughs) doesn't make sense to me because then they inject you with the flu that that, to me just mind-boggling but anyway okay cool and so you go to the uh, National College of Natural Medicine. Yes. So you do a medical degree like a normal GP, yes. but you're skilled in the arts of natural surgeries as opposed to a pharmaceutical route. Is that right? Exactly. We have to learn the pharmacy as well because we can prescribe the drugs as well. It's yep. a choice for us whether we'll use ah. a drug or a natural method. So we have a lot more skills in our black bag and our medical school takes us a lot longer. There's more hours okay. for us, say, if you went to Harvard than us because they only have surgery and drugs to learn yeah yeah yep. okay before we get on to the nfl looking at all the people that you treat and all of the the lifestyle factors that come into health in general is there one aspect of health that is critical to disease Everyone. prevention and, and longevity and what's the key i think the key in our society of excess is removing the bad boys and i always start with removing the bad boys so whatever the influences in your life that are keeping you from health is what i will start with so whether it's a food or prescription drugs or other drugs or a lifestyle habit or something like that it's like your foot will never feel better if there's a rock in your shoe so take out the rock and then we can do move forward yeah, yeah. you that can actually sense. find health and so. yeah and then so what what's the process that you use then to because quite often the rock in the shoe is not an obvious an obvious thing no, well, I, can, I can feel the rock in my shoe mate. it's very <laughs> yeah. annoying I usually go you know, a couple of hundred meters before, before I you do anything about yeah. it yeah 
Actually, you'd be surprised. You were saying that because you've done some research and you're educated already. So you're saying that from your perspective, for the things that you've already tried, for the rocks that you've already taken out of your shoes, you mm. would find it difficult to find the next rock. Right. But when you're dealing with someone for the first time, it's not at all It's like a hard. Farm. Stands out. It's easy. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay. People are unaware of the impact that it has. Whatever that is, whatever the rock is, lack of sleep, people are simply unaware that. Yeah, I see. You know, okay. it has an influence like that. People are truly unaware that fast food, the people who eat the fast food frequently, are actually unaware of how deleterious it is for their health. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I just say some of those would be getting a, a, some of the a visceral adiposity adding up. Yes. We know that's the bad stuff, Sonia. <laughs> you certainly wouldn't want that, would you, Tom? No, you wouldn't want. High visceral fat, Rodden. No. Yeah, what are you looking at me for? <laughs> well, Rodden had a DEXA scan yesterday. I did. Unfortunately, uh, it's all trunk visceral fat. So I was, I was yeah. 15 on the DEXA. 15% DEXA, which is pretty good for a 40-year-old male. Yeah. Oh, well, there you go. well, I don't know who's 40 in the room. But yeah, if you were 40, it would be quite good. But yeah, then he uh, then he sort of scratched his head and said, nah, nah, well, look, there's no fat on your arms and legs. It's all in the trunk, which is, uh, uh, and I was well aware that that's, you know, is not the uh, ideal place to have fat. So uh, promptly, as Tom knows me, uh, you know, full full steam ahead in uh, in cutting mode, and uh, yes. give me a month, and I'll I'll tell our listener what the uh, the next uh, body fat reading is. But to be honest, I um I did actually go and have the uh, the DEXA scan because I I did look like fat was just going on my midsection. It's like yeah, my leg, legs are still vascular, arms are looking good, but am I fat or am I not fat? So mm. it was quite uh, fascinating, but it was just the prompt that I needed. And look, to be honest, there, there is things in the diet that I could clean up. I mean, the, the odd cu- custard bath here and there that a listener would be aware of can mm. be stopped, you know, maybe yes. not so frequent. but not um, be quite so excessive with the cheap meals. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, but it's interesting. Like generally, my nutrition is quite good, but, but there is the, the consistent deviation from, you know, what I deem... Uh, healthy that that is undoubtedly contributing to that. Mm-hmm. Well, you so. can start with that. Mm. Like, from what I've known about you so far, it's like you're actually well educated, and you probably are eating a lot cleaner than you think. Mm. And I don't like things to be fastidious. I don't think it's a way of life. Mm. I think you know the anorexia of the whatever 90s 80s 90s is what we're seeing now in sports and CrossFit and everything else like mm. that. It's the same mental illness. It's just looking a different way. So often when you have someone like you who's actually well-educated, you probably are eating quite well. So Mm. then that's try what you already know. And if it doesn't work, that's when we're looking for something else. Then to do further testing. And you'd be surprised with our how dirty our environment is Mm. that it could be something from the outside that you simply aren't aware of. And one of the other things, Mm. like, I mean, I did have a bit of a sniff around on the, as you do Google things, as soon as you get told something that's not good, you promptly hop on Google and like Cam did, Cam on his last legs over there. But, um, and I think it it, it said, you know, like uh, crash dieting and and my background is competing. So, you know, I'll I'll get super lean and then I'll bang, blow out and, and then I'll get, oh, fat again super lean again yeah. you know 7% on decks there and then ah, back up again so yep. I think that may have been playing an influence on it we see a lot of that in competitors yeah. Yeah, all these fitness models which again is fairly new yeah and for humans yeah yeah, yeah it's not the most healthiest lifestyle no. choice and you do a lot of extreme to get competition ready mm. and then that change in the celebration after yeah. with that kind of food um, e- even if you didn't 
what you did to your endocrine system and getting ready yeah. for the show, it's like your body doesn't forget anything. Mm. So mm. you. So even if you didn't make uh, particularly bad choices, you may find that the body fat distribution would just be. Uh, well, I'm going to say that competition was a bad choice. Yeah. So what what was necessary to get as lean as the other competitors was a bad choice, and now you're going to pay for it. So mm. maybe not today, maybe not tomorrow. Maybe mm. that's what you're going to see. Uh, five years later, ten years later, is going to be that change. Body Especially now, if you think about it, there was a lot of like starvation and eating oatmeal and doing more cardio to get show ready. Yeah. So those are things that your body is not going to forget. It never wanted those little extra carbs and then the starvation elsewhere and then the yeah. two hours of cardio yeah. on the daily. Yeah. That's never what it was wanting. Yeah. So you were giving the body a message. Things are very bad. Yeah. yeah. So this is a very good adaptation to put that central adiposity around for right. longevity. Right. This will keep you to fight another fight, to live yes, another yes, day. Yes. So Almost like a uh, survival preservation. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Fascinating. And in that circumstance, I mean, does it work the other way as well? You, you spend a, a period of time nurturing the body and it then starts to establish that as the, the homeostasis? As long as the changes are functional, once they become lesional, then it, you can't just change things like that. And unfortunately, some of the higher endocrine organs will show signs of lesional problems when you have had years of abuse and getting yeah. show ready. So it's very stressful for the brain to go through that. It's yeah. tremendous what yeah. it takes to get show ready. Well, it's, uh, it is pretty much on, on death's door, isn't it? You, you, yeah. You're reducing your body fat to super low levels. Yes. Just from an evolutionary standpoint, it's mm. pretty dire for the body. And so what, what's happening to the brain during that process, Sonny? So the amount of um, stress, we say stress, and it really means a lot of things, but it's cortisol, it's the epinephrine, it's the norepinephrine. All these things are wonderful and necessary. We need every one of those hormones and neurotransmitters. They run the functions. Once we overdo it, though, we have literally worn out pathways in the brain that need to be reestablished, and it isn't simple. You can't just stop doing that in order to reestablish those connections. For the longest time, you've said things are really bad, and it's really bad, and it's really bad. So it's famine, it's war times, it's whatever, and your body is still thinking that that's how it needs to be. So this is an adaptation like a good adaptation mm-hmm. and it's just like this is beneficial because it will keep you around you have a source of food supply mm-hmm. now yep. so when this bad comes again there you go you're yeah. you're ready interesting yeah. yeah well i'm ready tom you're if ready. there's any sort of famine <laughs> any sort of uh yes you know zombies taking over the world i'm fine <laughs> you're with the last man standing <laughs> exactly you're very good you're sneaking out tom but uh, the visceral adiposity it has yeah. its place yeah when the apocalypse happens when the apocalypse happens uh, i'll eat my words you will yeah. you can eat some of my visceral fat <laughs> yes from dead. now sonia we're just talking on the brain then and before we went to where you were talking about working with the uh, the players and the athletes that you do in the nfl the incredible toll on their brains from the, yes. the impacts that they take we obviously uh, watch a little bit of it when the super bowl comes around we'll, yeah. we'll tune in looks and you, impressive you know you hear the clunking of the helmets yeah. and you don't really understand just the forces and the trauma that these guys mm. were involved with can you uh, just explain what happens to to the human brain for these guys yes mm. absolutely so the brain is actually encased in a skull but there is no 
areas of connection. In other words, it's not attached like say um, in your knee, you like you in your leg, you would have your lower leg bones and your upper leg bones and they'd be connected with a ligament to yeah. hold them together. And then the ligament would have some flexibility so we can have extension and flexion in the knee and you can have some movement. In the brain, it's free floating. So there is some liquid, a very hard skull, a very soft brain, mostly fat and then this liquid that goes around it. So when the brain comes into impact and it hits, the actual brain itself will hit up against the skull and then just fall away. So we have the area that it hits the first time, we call that the coup, and then if it's enough force, it will hit on the backside, we call that the contra coup. And either one of those areas could show problems. We could have symptoms from either one of those areas. The brain will inflame just like anything else, and that will create pressure. So, you know, when it's severe enough, you'll have um, a, a coma that usually doesn't happen in the mm. NFL anymore. But, you know, back in the day before those helmets, it wasn't unusual for players to die on the field. That was wow. actually acceptable. Yeah. And they were going to stop football. You think somewhere around 1905 or something like that when I think they lost 19 in a single season. And then they were like, okay, perhaps this is too violent, so <laughs> we need to stop. But yeah. so now we have better helmets and equipment and so forth. So we're not losing players anymore. On the field. On the field. Yeah. But we are losing them. Their average lifespan is around 52 to 53 years old, which is actually an improvement. This has gone up in the last couple of years for a number of reasons, but it's very young. So that's their... That's crazy. So that's the average lifespan for an NFL player? Yes. <laughs> wow. Wow. Uh, man, I'd be living like a rock star too if I only had 51 years. Yeah. The, um, because I'm, I'm not familiar with, with contact sport, like when they obviously invariably uh, certain you know, positions on the field will cop more, but do these guys have uh, notable, like when you get the um, knock at the front and the back, um, do they have headaches or like, can you, do they know that their brain's been squished or are they sort of symptom free? It's like, oh, you got a knock on the head, all good. Let's, let's go hang out at the pub type thing or? Initially, they have symptoms, so but it's hard for them to see. They don't right. like loud noises. They have the headache yeah, and they may okay, have right. blurry vision. So a lot of vision things and that's when you get the hit at the back of the head. But it doesn't need to be anything specific. Yeah. Mostly they can't think straight. Right. is really so cognitive it. function out the window. Yes. And even just for basic things. So no memory, no short-term memory. That's the most significant thing that we notice right away. They don't necessarily know where they are, what, who they're playing, who their opponent is, oh, what wow. the score is. They're unaware of those things. Or how they got from the hit to the sidelines they don't remember any mm. of that so wow. those are the things that we notice right away and then the headache might persist for a few days and then it's the visual disturbances they are very photophobic they do not like bright lights or and loud noises and when do you deem them okay to play again like when the headache goes and they can so they have set questionnaires Okay. And this is once they can answer their questionnaires again, they are allowed to return to play. I think that's a completely useless way of doing yeah. any type of evaluation. And certainly there is no treatment. Unfortunately, they're only using time right now yeah. in the league. They are not doing anything to do treatment at all. So as soon as you can answer some basic questions again, you are allowed to return to play. Wow. Mm -hmm. And that could be within a week? It could be you could be the same game if you can pull off the questions. Really? If you just happen to eke the answer out, you are allowed to go the back boys, in. Because the boys, the uh, boys would want to be back 
They I mean, absolutely yeah. want to be back on the field, yeah. and they will do anything they will ask their teammates to help them if it's necessary and their teammates want to help them because they want them out there too because they don't really realize when you watch a quarterback throw the ball straight into the arms of the opponent you know that he should not be back on the field that one is obvious when a player takes a turn and they're running in the wrong direction well then that's obvious but aside from that you don't realize what they're suffering with and they don't really realize it either because they're dinged Every little tap where the soft brain has come up against this hard skull, mm. our body just responds with inflammation. It's just what we do. Mm. It's a, it's that inflammation, that swelling is filled with chemicals to let the rest of the systems know that healing is necessary in this area. So it's beneficial mm. in the short run. Yeah. It's okay. just that wow. the response to inflammation is that we lay down scar tissue and that scar tissue as opposed to functioning tissue means that it's not going to function like whatever it was supposed to be doing. Mm. Mm. Sticking with the inflammation side of things then, Sonia, you mentioned before we we started recording that uh, one of the challenges you face is working with these guys on a nutritional basis because mcdonald's and fast food is what they want to eat and that's what they that's, <laughs> that's what good for recovery yeah and, and that's what they're going to eat so uh, in terms of other sorts of inflammation apart from the immediate inflammation from an impact what about more chronic inflammation over the course of a career or a lifespan of eating fast, season. fast food and all that kind of stuff how, how does that affect the body Tremendously. They will get a lot more out of their bodies and their career if they eat from the very beginning with good nutrient-dense foods. And this is something that nobody is teaching them. And mainstream media is also not helping. Mm. Well, the the if it fits your macro crowd, uh, they're certainly not helping. Mm. They are not. <laughs> they are definitely not. But it even goes even bigger than that. Like the main companies that provide them electrolytes and yep. whatever Without else, even names, yeah. yeah, when they're slipping in protein drinks and everything else, all in the name of something healthy and some of those things are just poison and so they're poisoning their livers which is a big deal for these boys unfortunately they do need a lot of pain medications over a career it's just the nature of the beast even though i choose not to use them in my particular medicine i can't avoid them and i must work with them in their system because they definitely want to be on the field on sunday Okay, so you pretty much said that the the junk food is would that be a game changer if they clean that up? Absolutely. Um, obviously, from for our listeners, it makes sense. We need to get the nutrients in for performance. Yes. But when you do have the opportunity to change uh, or get that meal or two in for those individuals, do you see a a better performance on game day? Like, do, if you manage yeah. to change that, are they better? So surprisingly, it? they are the ones who are going to notice that food hangover faster than anybody if I give them a time where I let them do whatever they want, unrestricted. And mm. then when I've given them that time, maybe it's Sunday night after a game, That that's not really fair because everyone hurts Monday morning, but... It's another time. If I give it to them, they have that hangover. You'd be surprised how few of the boys actually drink alcohol because they feel it right away, that they know that that affects their performance, and so they will choose not to do it. Mm. If you overdo bad food and you haven't had it, if you've restricted it for a while and then you overdo it, you have that same soreness, almost like a hangover, although it's in your whole body, not just in your head. So that's something I love to do. Like, give me a week. Let me just show you something. Yeah. 
yep. Okay, yeah. that day, eat whatever. So, and so when you do that, so when an individual, whether it's a player or just listeners to the podcast, they go mm. out and they have a big binge, why do you wake up feeling horrible the next morning? What, what's happening inside? So your body has reacted immediately. It's not just a food allergy. It's a different type of immune response. So the same immune cells are involved. It's just making different types of chemicals. Right. And they are inflammatory chemicals, and they run the course of the body, and they mm. will pick on parts that are already inflamed. So mm. Joints. Knees. Exactly. Right. So yeah. it's a, it's the immune system is what yes. is being triggered by the, the overdrive. Is, is that why you referred to to trans fats and artificial sweeteners as poisons? Because yes. the, the body treats them as a poison. Yes. We don't have a way to handle those. Those aren't native to anything. I don't. You know, there's heavy metals in our environment and all mm. those types of things. Heavy metals are all things that have been on the planet forever. We actually have a way to remove those from our body. So, of course, we don't want to be overwhelmed by them. Yeah. That would be a toxic, a poisoning as well. But at least we have a method to do so. Trans fats, we right. don't know how to do that. Never supposed to be in the no. body, those things. And just like trans fats, just like heavy metals, like we will use them because we'll go, oh, that looks like, and then we'll put it in. So that trans fat looks like a fat. Let me put it in. Yes, yeah, so it's our phospholipid membranes that yeah. you know are around every single cell, and it will perform a function as if it were, but it's horrible at it. Yeah. It's not smart. Yeah. You yeah. know, it doesn't selectively know how to let good guys in, bad guys out. It doesn't know how to perform what it is. It won't flex and bend like it's yeah. supposed to under stress. It will break. So. Yeah, it could, the symptom could be anywhere when yeah. you're dealing with those right. types of okay. toxins. And so I gather that the greater exposure over a longer period of time to the trans fats, for example, the higher percentage of that lipid coating around the cells Absolutely. gets harder and harder and the more throughout the whole body you've inflamed. Absolutely. So it's, um, mm. it's Well, you were touching on the gut and gut function. I know, yeah. uh, Sonia, that's one of your areas of of expertise and uh, so the, the first place to start is always with the probiotic, probiotic. yep yeah <laughs> shovel that in a variety of probiotics but it's the latest research and yeah. timing is crucial but maybe that's not the best uh, the best approach all the time Sonia it is it's something that I always have been saying since way before people were using the word microbiome or anything else if you look at any long-lived culture you will find that that is something that they have in common is that they're eating bacteria every day but they're eating the food from where they came from as well, and the bacteria are also local. So now we're in this completely artificial environment. Yeah. And pretty much everything about our lifestyles in this Western world is artificial. So it's not so simple anymore. Yeah. The bacteria are something that you need to eat every day. Yeah. It is just something that has become so imbalanced by so many Western lifestyle choices that to find your way back to optimal health is unique to absolutely everybody, making yeah. it really hard for a practitioner in, a, in order to find what is missing in that person. Yep. But these bulk things, I don't know about down here, but um, kombucha and all those things have become so widely popular mm. as the Yakult. thing to do mm. yeah, that's how that's, that's that little the, the, the probiotic drink the probiotic yogurty kind of that's thing. the yogurty yeah. kind yes yeah. that's ridiculous but the um <laughs> kombucha as well also it's so crazy it's 
most people can't handle it anymore. We, like, we're really so sick, even the ones who appear to be healthy. Mm. We're so imbalanced. So what would you recommend then? I mean, if we need, obviously, bacteria, but we're not sure which bacteria is the right bacteria for us as individuals. So mm. can you give any sort of blanket advice? Like, do you have resistant yes. starch, fermented foods? Do you take a probiotic or not? Yes. If you are ill and you have a lot of symptoms, you need to be working with a healthcare practitioner. Okay. That's all there is to it. If okay. you're all right, but you want to optimize health, yeah. So then we can start looking at a probiotic product. And I've heard so many recommendations uh, recently. One of my patients was told, if you don't find something that has 30 strains in it, it's not good for you. Waste of time. Yeah. Um, So I've never seen one with 30 strains. I don't know about you guys, Mm -hmm. but I can't even imagine what dirt they're pulling off the ground or the sidewalk here in order (laughs) to get 30 strains in there. So... there's not rules like that. There's rules like, just like we have HCL and the challenge and everything that Charles talks about. Yep. yep. So then we have things like a probiotic, like let's try this one that okay. has lacto and bifido in it and a okay. few lacto perhaps, you know? And it's like, how does that make you feel? And if you don't have like sort of rebound symptoms with a lot worse GI symptoms, it's probably okay for you. Okay. And then try and find something I like to eat according to your genes. So we're mixing our gene pools all over the place. This is harder. But when you try and find something, what, who are your people? And what did you eat culturally? So then you can go for a fermented food mm. from that time. So for a lot of us Westerners, it would be something like yogurt. Okay. For us, it's really hard to find because we can't find raw dairy in our country. It's very difficult. And then we can't... For you specifically? For, for the, uh, the U.S. Right, okay. Yeah. So then when we're looking for a good yogurt, it, yogurt is milk that was sat out and it grew bacteria, not milk that was killed until everything and it was dead and then we put bacteria back in yeah. it. So okay. this is what we're left with in the U.S. anymore. So this is what I have to work with. And again, dairy is one of those things where I'm probably going to try and remove it as opposed to putting yeah. it in. Yeah. It's also very cold food, like the energetically, it's very cooling and most people have abused their guts so to the point that they can't handle more cold. Most people need more digestive fire. So I'm not going to choose yogurt even though for most western cultures that would be a way to do it i'm going to try and choose something else instead and it would probably be something perhaps like even a miso or something like that that they could easily handle perhaps kimchi you know these things that these food things that they could do perhaps just doing the cultures at home again these cultures that you do at home are so lacto high that it's not necessarily what we're trying to deal with here the fermented vegetables you're talking Mm -hmm. about there's these starter kits that you can do at home anymore and i like the do it yourself and all that kind of stuff but most people just have extreme or even doing kefir or any of these things it's just extreme bloating after that because yeah. this is not what they needed okay so probiotic down the hatch bloating thereafter wrong probiotic yeah don't do okay. it yes and so it's very possible that you have such a problem in there anyways it's like we say this is what everyone has said forever it's a turf war you put the good guys in you're going to have the bad guys right. you're going to have a war and now you have symptoms of course you have symptoms live with it no 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 yeah. no we are know so much more than we used to about our delicate microbiomes Mm. than we did before and we need to be more mindful that everybody is different because every single one of us has been exposed to different soils different antibiotics whatever well Tom and I actually have a, uh, we actually encourage our listeners to, what are you laughing for? I mean, it's a serious point. Yeah, go on. Yeah, but anyway, we get the steak, throw it on the ground, 
Yes. Get some bacteria yes. on it. You know, get a on bit of uh, dirt and yeah. uh, grit off the ground. Yep. Cook it and then and repopulate then the gut. Go. Yeah. Very yeah. good. Yeah. So, so, actually, <laughs> I was right. <laughs> for was people right. who are open to it, these are the things like we used to grow so many things ourselves and we would pick from the garden and yep, just yep, eat them. Yep, that yep. wasn't even weird. So, it is weird now for me to tell people to do things and grow things. But really, for people, if I can get them to go to a farmer's market, and perhaps not wash their vegetables. This is a hard one because I can't always be there and I can't always say, okay, now that one, okay, you gotta scrub that one off. Yeah. Yeah. And then, okay, so this one is a very hard conversation to have because we don't want, you know, imbalances of bad bacteria or dirt, but that soil bacteria is excellent. Like yeah. those carrots do not need to be peeled and spotless. Perhaps we can just eat them just as they are. So yes, I am a huge fan of natural, like farmer's markets and not washing just everything mm. like mm. excessively that's right. You'd have to wash the hands. What about that? About washing your skin and all the well, stuff you're, about you're, the you're making super bacteria. The skin microbiome, not just yes. what's within the gut. We are really damaging ourselves with these antibacterial products. Yeah. It is a huge deal in our society yeah. in the U.S. With these antibacterial products are showing up everywhere, and they yeah. are poisonous. Like you, you, you go into a you know, a, a bottle and there's a little little spray thing. Oh, it sterilizes your hands while you're here. It's like I'll just, mm. and you don't have to wash them. It's just like dry and and uh, what you, were you you're doing in the bottle well, well, back when I, well, <laughs> when, I was, when I was contemplating uh, having a drink, but you, you're and it's similar to the and correct me if I'm wrong, the antibiotics. You know, you're getting these these superbugs that that are just uh, resistant to any sort of antimicrobial. Absolutely, anti-bacterial. they will encourage growth. So that's like a slap to the the face of the bacteria, if you will, when you take those things and they're like, oh, yeah, I'm going to show yeah. you. Yeah. And they don't have anything else to do. Yeah. And they're not trying to get to the gym. They're not trying to do yeah. anything. They're not going to these jeans make my butt look fat they don't do anything they're not distracted by social media they're just here to survive they're doing way better at it than we are so if you do something like that to annoy them you don't kill them all so the ones that are still there are going to work so damn hard to repopulate themselves and this is how we get into the situation where we can't stay on top of things because you squirted this much and somebody else squirted that much and you started with a different microbiome but now we're all like trying to overpopulate all these things so we're getting rid the good guys were overpopulating with these mutant strains and now we don't have anything that's effective for these strains so now this is a greater imbalance of bacteria that are important here yeah so do we wash our hands or not absolutely yes we need to wash our hands soap Soap, regular soap is a great cleansing agent it will clear those things off without creating that sort of backlash right and dry your hands thoroughly Tom Okay, so it's just the it's the antibacterial yeah. ones that were chemicals. The, yeah, the yep. chemicals. Right. Yes. Yeah, yeah. We're painting quite a, a grim picture a for grim our picture. listeners today, aren't we? We're getting back to the NFL players. Yes, yes. Let's, uh, back to the boys. So re- re- recovery and um, backing up. What sort of supplements or, or, or therapies do you like to use to to label, enable these guys to cop a pounding basically and then get and back on the field going, ASAP? Yeah. What what sort of things do you like to do there? There are so many tricks that we have in our black bag. This is a super cool time to be us as natural medicine healers as opposed to a physician who really doesn't have anything. They may be able to take away the pain as an anti-inflammatory, but they don't have anything to give. And this is the cool part that makes them actually seek us out for therapy. And 
I have always said that tomorrow's game starts today. The more that you can put into your body today, if you think about it like a bank account, most of these guys can think about it like that. So if you have a certain amount of cash and a game or a practice takes away from that, mm. you know, we always say exercise is good for us. Well, not when you think about the actual exercise. Anything that happens in the gym or on the field is actually bad for you. It's mm. what your body does in response to it is what's yeah. good for yeah. us. Yeah. So we make our gains when we sleep and at the dinner table. And if I can get my boys to understand that the sleep and the food is what's actually the good part about them, not their time in the gym, mm. certainly they understand that what they do on the field is not good for them. Mm. S then we realize where the withdrawals come from the bank account and then where the deposits come. So mm. what can we do if we took a big withdrawal? You're going to play. So now how can we put back on that? You could get a really good sleep. That would be so nice because then we'll get some really great growth hormone. Yep. So you try and tell these boys to sleep after a game. Yeah. 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 So that it's very few of them who can unwind like that and fall asleep the night of a game. So then there's other things that we can do to put back into the system. And if we do anything in the way of amino acids, like what is actually damaged? If we can think of those structures that are damaged, we're going to have muscle fibers that are damaged, yeah. connective tissues, all that stuff. Yeah. What are they made out of? Well, they're made out of aminos, yeah, aminos a, a lot of them. And then um, the connective tissue is where we have a hard time healing because it's so avascular. So we need things like vitamin C. Yeah. And we do need minerals like copper, like even it, it's just in small amounts. These are the things that we can fortify the system with. And the aminos like lysine and proline, those final amino acids when we're actually laying down new good tissue, they're critical. So little things like that are great. And anything that we can do as well in the natural realm to take down inflammation like fish oil or curcumin, yep. any of those things are all beneficial. Okay. Uh, you mentioned the, the sleep there, Sonia. What, is there anything, obviously it's hard to get the boys to switch off. Do you have any, I mean, from my clientele that do train in the evening if they're having a hard time, you know, things like obviously the magnesium, phosphatidylserine uh, to help, uh, you know, bring that uh, arouse state down, that the para, uh, sympathetic to a parasympathetic type mm. state. Any sort of uh, go-to in a perfect world if you, you know, could give them whatever. Is there any that you see great results with? Yes. Supplement-wise? The, well, the magnesium 3 and 8 is great to unwind okay. the brain. And then anything that will promote the GABA neurotransmitter. Yep. So mm, you can use theanine. So funny butt is a great in the way of thinking. I just tend not to use it because that one can be addictive. It can be hard with alcohol. They do drink sometimes. I'm not saying that they're yeah, yeah. Um, saints. Yeah. <laughs> well, certainly. Okay. And... So I try and keep anything in that nature, though, and to keep it simple, we do have to remember with a group, my group, they're tested for yeah. a lot of things, and anything that seems to provide benefit is now being taken away as performance enhancing. Right. So we're walking a fine line here with everything. We're losing things sort of on the daily kind of thing. So yeah, yeah. I like to keep it simple to things like phosphatidylserine and magnesium and things okay. that they couldn't possibly take away so that I can always have those Stay ingredients. Yeah. 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 Okay. Yep, yep, yep. All those uh, go-tos there. But it sounds like uh, just getting these guys to, um, like we mentioned earlier, just eat. Uh, or eat at the right times, like after a game, make sure they get the, the, the calories in and yeah. they're going to be off on the right foot there. And that's certainly... Um, Dan Garner's been on, um, on our program. He's a, a nutritionist that we, we get to chat on here. And, and it's something that I adopt with my clientele. It's sort of, you know, you're preparing for tomorrow's workout immediately after 
Yeah. Yeah. That's finished. Finished. You know, you yeah. start loading glycogen back in, carbs, glycogen stores, blah, blah, blah. But um, but the same will be true for the NFL boys is to, to really, you know, uh, get that window of opportunity um, mm. straight after yeah. the game or the, or the session. The, the body has a four-hour window where after a certain trauma, we have made some type of response, but it's not really set. So if we can intervene in that time, I always tell them that's prime time. I can only be one place, you know, after the game. So Sunday night is really the key spot. If you can get me then and we can put everything back where you don't have to go through that whole cycle of inflammation, that whole sort of DOMS response that we Mm. talk about, the delayed onset muscle soreness. It's not just muscles. It's every tissue. If we can put back then... Even a stroke, like any tissue, it's we have this window where we have an opportunity to make a significant change if something isn't completely separated from where it belongs, yeah, something yeah, completely yeah, yeah. torn or yeah. whatever. Yeah. Severe yeah. trauma. Yeah. yeah. Okay, fascinating. And so, Sonia, what are you working on next? What's the future of, of your practice? Where, where's it going? I cannot wait till I can take the whole concussion treatment to a next level. That's something that's really near and dear to me. Yeah. These boys are very competitive. There's a lot of boys in America that want to play. Boys from other countries now that are coming in to try and play in this. It is the greatest arena that we have. These are gladiators. There isn't mm. another really arena. You have rugby down here. We really don't. So I think mm. that's a really rough well, we sport had, uh, here. Jared Hayne over there mm. recently for the 49ers, San Francisco 49ers, yeah. I think. He, he was over playing for them. So, yeah, all over the world. Yeah. It's yeah. a brutal sport, but the head knocks are not as consistent. And, uh, you know, they're not averaging 70,000 head knocks. Their life expectancy is far greater than yeah, in the yeah. NRL and the rugby yes. in Australia. Yeah. Yes. Because that, that, that's a stunning statistic for me. Yeah. The life expectancy for an NFL player to yeah. be 52 Disgusting. and 54. Like, you'd really have to question whether you play the sport if you were made aware of that. Like yeah. that's So this is the thing is when you look at the choices that they make, so they're very competitive. They had to be very edgy. They needed to do something to set themselves apart from other people in order to be where they are. Mm. So when you look at this behavior, we don't usually stop it. We usually say, well, that's them. Their crazy, poor choice behavior is that's them. So we had one that died last year in the league because he was drinking and driving and he had a car accident. So he was in his early 20s. This is what brings the average down. So yeah, yeah. Right, so, right, so right, 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 yeah, you right. have to remember all the seventy thousand knocks yes. it's collectively. Yeah. But, but no, no, no. The, that's what makes them make the bad decisions. Like yes, the certain, knocks make them make the bad decisions. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So you yeah. can't tell them no. There's a certain amount that in their personality that if you told them no, they wouldn't be where they were today. Yeah. So there's a certain part of them where we really leave them alone and we just say, oh, yeah. that's them. Oh, they've got a big personality. Oh, they're very aggressive because they play an aggressive sport. Because we've never taken the time to say, maybe not. Maybe they're doing those things, you know, because they are so inflamed in their brains that they don't know what else to do. They don't know how to unwind. Their neurotransmitters are completely unbalanced. And no one is looking at that because we do MRIs. And no, no lesion, you're fine. They, they literally, they're bathing their brains in chemicals that are imbalanced. Yeah. And some areas are simply not being bathed. When we do something like a PET scan that shows the brain in motion, making choices and having thoughts, you can see that there are areas that are simply not getting any blood flow. Mm. So even if 
right. the neurotransmitters were in balance, there's nothing going on in that area. They've been turned off. So if that's an area that's involved in higher decision making, critical thinking, they wow. are unable to access, to access that, that. Yeah. part of it. Yeah. You know, and no one's looking at the functional aspects. Yeah. So when and we, we spoke s- about that questionnaire, like answer a few questions and you're back on the field. So yes. It's, it's, well, I mean, if you actually had to do a, a proper if you were there and it was up to you whether this player comes back onto the field, then clearly you'd say no. No. But, but if they pass they a, a knock, yeah. But if they pass a test, it's fine, and that's because otherwise there'd be no NFL. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> the industry is too big. Exactly. This is the problem that we're facing. Yeah. Is that if you took away all the hitting, there'd be no sport. There'd be no is, industry. Yeah. Yeah. There's no game. So yeah. it's not about to stop. So, yeah. And this is the part that to me, it's like it just keeps me going. Like well. I can't stop with these boys mm. until someone, mm. you know, reaches them. It's a very big deal for all the years that I have been doing this. Nobody has been talking about fish oil. Now there are some teams that will pass it out in the locker room so they don't really know what they're doing. But it's such a big step that mm. I do have faith that yeah. they'll. Mm. And now it's for joints. But they would pass it out for their brain as well. The, even just that awareness yeah. that if you were to give them some extra fish oil after a knock to the head, mm. every knock to the head, mm. oh, how about every practice then? Let's mm. just say that then. Mm. And then yeah. certainly Thursdays are their hardest days if we just said just that day. Or how about just mm. game day or something? It would be 70,000 tablespoons of fish oil at the end of the yeah. day. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, have to get in the liquid. You have to get in the liquid. Yeah, you couldn't have, have caps. Have to. Too yeah. many. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, look, I think that's maybe where the future is, Sonia. I mean, as the technology gets better to actually assess what's happening in the brain mm-hmm. you know intuitively that the way these guys are behaving and based on what's happening to their brain but an MRI scan won't show that damage yes as maybe the technology develops and you can do more you know substantive testing on what's yes. going on with cognitive function then you might be able to really pioneer something yes uh, in that e- field. E- you won't you won't stop the sport though no, no. They it's are. bigger than you, Sonia. Yes. <laughs> it's bigger than you because you're quite small. She's yes. quite small. You're quite petite. Yeah. Petite. Very good. Well, it's been a fascinating chat, yeah. Sonia. Thank yeah. you so much for your time. Absolutely. Um, we'll certainly keep in contact, and I'm uh, interested to see what you come up with over the next uh, next yeah. few years. It, it's really interesting. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, Thank you for having me. All right. Bye bye. Thank you. Sonia Pedersen, what a fascinatingly interesting woman she is. She 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 really was, and I I, uh, I was just baffled by uh, you know talking about the NFL players and the, and the what was it seventy thousand uh, uh, knocks to the head in a pro career. Mm. One to the front, one to the back. Boom 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 boom. You know, and the and the, the average uh, lifespan. What it, what was that? It was yeah. early fifties or something. It's Frightening just, stuff. Yeah, you'd really crazy. have to, uh, yeah, you'd have to question whether you do it, but, uh, you know, that's what they do. Yeah. That's what they do. But there she was, everything from uh, from brain health mm. to gut health, the gut mm. biome. Very complex. The, yeah. Interesting little theory she had on your situation, Rawdon, with the, the, the visceral adiposity and the, yeah. you know, the stress that you've put yourself through repeatedly yeah the yo-yo dieting and um, the body's the body's reaction to that yeah to that process yeah the adaptation um and you know fascinating that uh with this day and age where that's what most people do and let's face it, a lot of them do it'd just be interesting to see if uh you see those trends of uh you know uh, an increased visceral uh adiposity f- uh, across the board mm. more so than what they used to be with um 
rather than having a, a an even uh, style of nutrition and uh, you know acceptable body fat levels and on these extremities that everyone seems to go to these yeah, days. Yes, that's right. A world of extremes. Mm. Well, that has been another episode, Rawdon. We had a little touch-up on the peptides there, so hopefully we've confused the listener further. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Dan Garner, uh, part two. He'll be back for part three next so week. That was, that was sleep. That was interesting. I think oh. I might go get some a micro-sleep here and there, I think, uh, yes. is, is in order. Check yes. out Rawdon, the Dubois Method, on Facebook and Instagram. Go to my website, tomhewitt.com.au.